last week, you know, John Sapp's not here, but I am grateful and appreciate him coming and sharing with the body because he was an important part of this body for, for about a year. Um, Brother Samuel, he's probably already left. Uh, there's a reason I didn't come to your party last week. I had a more important party to be at last week. Yep. I mean, I think you get what happened, right? Yeah. Got to be in North Carolina and be at a surprise after party for Chris after getting engaged, so getting married this summer. We're so grateful. God is so good by His grace, His goodness. We've batted a thousand on Sundays. So, and as for all of you parents, we all know how important that is, right? So, and even even really cool too. On the way back, we get to the airport. It's freezing cold, and Ariel's getting her luggage. And I went outside to catch the bus because it only comes now like every thirty minutes. It's not often you catch that bus to the parking lot. And so I was out there, and it was freezing cold. And she called, and I said, I, and I I called Ariel and I said, Ariel, the bus is coming. I mean, we got to go quick. And so she she said, Dad, I can't. But I've got like four things in here that came off the luggage thing, including the you know the infant bed and all that because Della went with us. And so she's like, Dad, you got to get in here quick. And so I'm like, all right. So I went running in, and I got to the, d- the door, the second door to go in. And standing there was, was, was Randy, of all people. We got to run in each other. And it was like a double take, um, Katie's dad, all the way from California. Sometimes I run to Emporia people there. How often do you run into somebody from California? Like, So it was just really cool. And I was just in such a hurry to go help her and get out. But And then we talked on the phone. I hope you've had a really good week. So really cool to see you this morning. So I had a special occasion last week, so that's, uh, that's where I was. But the, here's, here's my question for this morning and the topic. It's what's in a name? What's in a name? Um, the story is told of a New Yorker who really desperately longed to own a ranch out west. And so it was his dream. He saved up a lot of money in his work, finally got the money, found the, the ranch of his dreams in Wyoming, and he bought it. And he moved his family out there to the ranch and had the whole ranch, had the cattle, all the things that he wanted to. And it was exactly, you know, fulfilled his dream. And one of his best friends flew from New York to go visit him and wanted to see his ranch and see what he had bought. And so he drove him around, showed him everything, and then his friend said, well, what's the name of your ranch? And the guy said, you know, uh, we had a really hard time naming this ranch because everybody in the family had their opinion of what we could call it and none of us could agree. So what we ended up doing is we decided we would combine everybody's name and give it that name. And so they, we named the ranch the Double R Lazy L Triple Horseshoe Bar 7 Lucky Diamond Ranch. And his friend said like, wow, that is an amazing name. And then he said, by the way, where are all the cattle? And he said, none of them survived the branding. So, what's in a name? God has a name. Some of you know this, but maybe this is all new for you. I want you to turn with me to the book of Exodus. Second book of the Bible, chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 to 3, 13. And I want you to see um, the story of where God reveals his name to Moses. So, I'm going to be reading this, but if you would stand with me. I'm reading out of the NIV. If you would stand with me, that would um, be great. We're reading 1 to 13. And here's the word of the Lord. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came back to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. 
Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, can you imagine what that was like, that experience? And Moses said, here I am. Uh, I would have run, but anyways. Verse 5, do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites, it's reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That you, by the way, is plural. It's y'all, all, you and all the nation of Israel. We tend to read it individualistically, but it's the whole community. You're all going to worship me on this mountain. Verse 13, Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, then what shall I tell them? And I want you to put your, keep your finger, but I want you to close your Bible, okay? I want you to close your Bible, because probably a lot of us know his name, but there might be some people who don't. And I want us to hear it kind of afresh, if that's possible. You may be seated, by the way. Yeah, you're like, are we going to stand this whole sermon? Um, so be seated. I want you to hear, hear it afresh. Um, because Moses says, what is your name? And we're told that God said to Moses, I am. And if you don't know the story, you'd be kind of sitting on the edge of your seat. I am what? Like, I'm Bob, or if you're from Texas, Billy Bob, Right? or I am Fred, or for some of the younger generation here, I am Groot, <laughs> right? Um, but I just want you to listen. I just want you to listen to his answer. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, Yahweh, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So his name is I am, or he starts, I am that I am, tell them that I am has sent you to me. Um, if we were in English, it's I am. If we were to do Korean, it's uh, nanun. In Japanese, it's watashiwa. In Spanish, it's yo soy, right? Um, so, so often we say the name, if you know it, Yahweh, but I really think he wants us to know him in our language. So to us, it's I am. That's what it looks like in Hebrew. Four letters. Um, that's why if you're kind of a, a Bible nerd kind of person, and I am a Bible nerd, sorry, I'm a card-carrying Bible nerd, um, this is called the tetragrammaton, which just means the four letters. Um, so it's referred to as the four letters. But it, it'd be easy to be like, now, Yahweh is, how many letters is Yahweh? 
six, but in Hebrew it's only four, and it's like, why is that? And it's because in the Hebrew written language, they never wrote down vowels. They only wrote down consonants, and so that's why it's only four letters. Have you ever been driving, you're behind a car, and like they have a word on their license plate, and maybe it's missing vowels, but it's only consonants. Maybe it's a sentence, and you're driving, getting kind of close, too close, and you're trying to figure out what it says. Have you ever done that? I mean, it's a little bit similar, right? So it, um, it's written in four consonants, and I want to share something really cool with you about that. Um, these are, this is the Hebrew alphabet, again, all consonants, but what's interesting is three of those consonants are kind of vowel-like. They're vowel-like, and the three consonants that are vowel-like are ya, ha, and wa, and I want you to say those with me, so can we say the first one? Say ya, ya, and then ha, and then wa, wa, ya, ha, wa. Those three Consonants that are actually kind of like vowels are what are used in his name. So it's ya-ha-wa-ha. That's, that's the consonants. And you may be like, what's the point of that? And there's something that, pro- that perhaps is significant. The Jewish rabbis say there's a reason God did that. Um, we're going to look at a lot of reasons for his name. But one of them is, is that all of those letters being vowel-like, if you, say, if you hold your hand up here and you say ya or ha or hua, you will feel your breath on your hand because those uh, being kind of vowel-like, there's a breath to them. And so what the rabbis used to say is, is that that's important that God revealed his name that way because he's as close to you as your own breath, that every time you breathe, you're actually saying the name of God, whether you know it or not. That when you're born, a baby, when they're first born, they take a breath and then they let out that first scream, that the first word a person says is the name of God. This is what the rabbis said, that at death you end with your last breath, that the last word every, anybody ever says is the name of God. And they said that even if a person is an atheist and is arguing with you about why God does not exist, every time, the whole time they're arguing, every time they're taking a breath, they're actually saying the name of God without even knowing it. Um, that's what the rabbis say, so kind of cool though to think about, right? But here's what's really interesting. Um, because God gave the Jewish people this name, but they were afraid of using his name. They would never say his name. Anytime they were reading in the Hebrew Bible and they would come to, for them, Yahweh, I am for us, but every time they came to that, they would not pronounce his name. They didn't want to dishonor him, and I won't go into all the reasons why, but what they would call him instead when they saw his name is they would call him Adonai, and Adonai is simply the Hebrew word for Lord, for a master. So anytime they saw his name, rather than pronounce it, they would say Adonai. Now, sadly, in my opinion, this tradition made its way into our English Bibles, and I frankly don't find it very helpful, because most English translations have kept this. And so most English translations will not put Yahweh or I am in the text. What they will put, if it's Adonai, if it's the Hebrew Adonai, they will spell it capital L and then lowercase o-r-d. If it's, the, if it's Yahweh, if it's the name of God that's behind it, what they will do is they will have all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. You see it in verse 15 of this text. If you look at verse 15, um, God said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, all in capital letters, but that's, that's I am that's behind that. To me, that's not helpful. I'd rather see his name than that. Um, you see it in Psalm 8, 9. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name on the earth. What it's saying is the great I am, Yahweh, my Adonai, how majestic is your name. Um, So anyway, sadly, that's made it into our English. But I share that with you so that you know if you're reading the Old Testament, anytime you see all capital Lord, you know it's his name, 
okay? And you know that it's, it's Yahweh, or it's I am. Now, I just read verse 15. I want to read, again, the end of verse 15, because we know that God's name is important to him. Because look at verse 15. In, in the NIV, it's like set out like poetry. God says this, this is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So his name was important. He says, I want you to call me by this name from generation to generation. In Ezekiel 39, 25, God actually says that he's zealous for his name. It's really important to him. So I, that makes me curious. Why does God care so much about his name? Um, and I would say it's because in their cultures, names were everything. Names were everything. In our culture, names aren't that significant. A lot of times it's just... Um, we, we hear a cool, like, oh, you know, John or whatever, Fred, nobody, I don't know Fred, but whatever. We hear it like, oh, that sounds cool, I like the sound of that, or that fits well with our last name, or I've got a relative named that, that a lot of times we're just picking, because to us a name is mainly a label, it's something they stick on your Starbucks cup, right, and wrongly write down every time, even if it's right, Garen, they still call you Garden, that happened to me on the way home from Kansas City and Chick-fil-A, Garden is Garden here, <laughs> Uh, that's what you get when you have an interesting name. But with a lot of cultures around the world, names are more important than that. Um, we worked with international students, and in most cultures, names carried significance. It had a meaning. So we knew a young woman from Korea named Yun Shim, whose name meant trustworthy. One of our dear friends was Sung Lee, whose name meant victory. Isn't that cool? Um, a lot of Native Americans, the indigenous peoples, their names had meaning. Even J.R. Tolkien in The Lord of the Rings. I've got to get Lord of the Rings in occasionally. Treebeard says this, names tell you the story of the one they belong to. Isn't that cool? And it was that way in Hebrew culture. Names were very, very important because a name told you the essence of a person. It told you their character. It told you who they were at the core of their being. So a name was, was really important. So when, when Moses says, what's your name? He's not asking for his label. What he's saying is, is, what are you like, really, in your essence? Who are you in your character? That's what he's asking. And so when God revealed himself and said, I am Yahweh in Hebrew, I am the I am, he was revealing the essence of his nature, um, the very summary of his being. And I think it's amazing that he shared that. So shouldn't we know his name and reflect on it? He longs for us to call him by his name. He's given it to Moses. Um, I am, it's his holy self-description. So I feel like his name is worth delving into, and that's what I want to do this morning. I want to dig into this name it's a rich name. Um, you're going to see a lot of stuff in a minute. To me, it's like a diamond that's multifaceted. We're going to look at a lot of things that this name carries inside of its meaning. And I think the more, for me, the more I learn about it, the more like the, I get excited about God and who he is. Um, so don't, I want to know what he's trying to tell me through his name, right? Should we not all? So that's what I want to do. I want to I dive into that. So first thing, I learn about God through his name is that he is personal, that God is a person. You know, people have names. He's, his name is I am, right? He's a person. Um, he is not the God of pantheism that's an impersonal power force that just is, is in everything in the universe and connects everything together and I'm part of God and God's part of everything. That's not the kind of God he is. He is a person, an individual he is somebody with emotion, intellect, and will, somebody that wants a relationship, that longs to be known, that wants to, that wants to know, longs to be known, and reveals his name so that he can be known. So he's personal. That's the first thing I learned. I'm going to come back more to that relational thing in a minute. A second thing I learned about his name 
is that God is mysterious. I mean, look at that name, right? I am who I am. Tell them I am has sent you. I mean, don't you kind of go, huh, right? Don't you kind of like, what is that? I can get some sense of what that means, but it's really unclear. I mean, uh, there, I've, I have read that more ink has been written um, from the rabbis in Jewish literature, from commentators on his name than any other part of the Old Testament, trying to flesh out what all is inside of that. And should I not expect that his name would kind of be like, myster- have a mystery to it? Because the creator God is more complex than I can ever imagine. So I, it, it makes sense to me that his name would reflect this mysterious part of him. Third thing I learned from his name is that God is self-existent. That word Yahweh is based on the Hebrew verb hayah, which means to be or to exist. To be or to exist. It's been translated variously. The Latin Vulgate, I am he who is, who exists. The Septuagint, Greek translation of the Old Testament, I am the one who is. Another translation, I'm the existing one. So the name I am speaks to God's self-existence. It speaks of the one who simply and absolutely is. He just is. He's always existed in and of himself. He wasn't created by anybody. He doesn't need anybody to exist for his needs. He is the self-existent one and the self-sufficient one. That's why Paul said in Acts 17, Jen referenced um, this text from Paul's speech in Athens. He's the one who made the whole world and everything in it. He does not live in temples or buildings built by human hands. This God is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else to people. He does not need any help from them. He has everything he needs. So God is self-existent. That's in his name. And if he's self-existent, the implication is, and I can't go into details of how all this is in the name, but that he is the creator. That God is the master of the universe. He is the cause of all things. He's the source of all being. That God is the author. The, um, he's the establisher. He's the sustainer. He's the maintainer of the whole universe. He's the creator of all things. That's why Paul said in Acts 17, 28, in him we live and move and have our being. Or in Romans eleven thirty six, it is from him and it's through him and it's to him are all things. So he's the master and creator of the universe. And if he's the master and creator of the universe, do you also not think that he's the master of our lives? That he deserves our obedience and our respect? I think so. And if he's creator, I, I think about and learn another thing. That as the creator, he's the one who defines all things, right? We live in a culture where words are becoming pretty meaningless because anybody can feel like they can define anything they want and change meanings of things. But we, li- we live and serve the true and living God who is the creator, the master of all, the one who defines everything. And if he's self-existent and the creator, that leads me to my next thing about God, which is that he is uncontrollable and he's untamable. Um, if you study religion much or if you work with people from other cultures, you learn that in a lot of folk religion, that people all over the world, people believe that if you can learn the name of something, you can actually control it in some form. Um, it's why people will go to a witch doctor or somebody, if they find out the name of an enemy, they'll go to a witch doctor, and if they have the name, then a curse can be put upon them with that name. Um, a lot of religions have the belief that if you learn the name of the God, you can control that God. And that's what a lot of magic is, is you learn his name. So in a lot of the world religions, the gods had two names. They had the name that people knew that was not their true name, and they had a secret name. 
So like the Egyptian god Re, he had a secret name that only his daughter Isis knew and nobody else knew so that nobody could control him. But I want you to know the, the, one and true, the one true and living God is uncontrollable by me. It doesn't matter if I know his name or not, right? If somebody came to him and was like, hey, can I know your name so that they could control him and manipulate them for what they want? God would say, I'll give you my name. And they would lean in to get it clear. And then God would say, here's my name. I am who I am. I am the great I am. I am uncontrollable by anybody. I will be what I will be. Is that not powerful? Of course, we're not like those religious folk. None of us ever tries to exploit God or manipulate him for what I need, right? None of us ever prays in Jesus' name because we think if we do that, we'll get it automatically, right? The truth is, is God is not my bellhop. He doesn't exist to serve me. So his name just reminds me that I need to bow the knee to him, um, that he is uncontrollable. He's the untamable one. In the words of C.S. Lewis, I got Lewis and Tolkien in one sermon, both. In the words of C.S. Lewis, he's not a tame lion. Scott, we, you and I love that so much, right? He's not a tame lion. There's another idea bound up in his name, and it's that God is eternal and timeless. I'm not going to go into all the details, but the verb tense used of his name clearly denotes his timelessness. He's not only the self-existent one, he is the eternally self-existent one. The Arabic translation translates his name this way, the eternal who passes not away. So we learn from his name that God has no beginning, that he has no end. He always was, always is, always will be. That's why in Isaiah 41.4, God says, I am the first and the last. In Revelation 1.8, he says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. That's why David writes of him in Psalm 92, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So he's eternal and he's timeless. He created space and time. We are bound in it, but God is above it and he's not bound to it. He exists beyond those categories. And so me living inside of time, we experience time in three ways, right? I experience time as past, as present, and as future but not God. He's timeless. He's outside of time, the creator of time. And for him, everything is present, eternally present. Doesn't matter where I am in the past, God was present there. In the future, to me, it's like this might happen tomorrow. God's like, I'm already there. I see you. I'm already present. So God is the eternal now and the eternal present one. And that's really significant to me because if we build off that fact, um, and of great interest to me is the fact that his name since it's, it is not past tense or future tense, his name is not I was, it's not I will be, but it is what? It is I am. It's present tense. It's today. And this is huge. Because if you're like me, I frequently find myself not living in the present. I'm living in the past with regrets that are weighing me down, or I'm living in the future worried about something that I'm afraid will happen or won't happen. And when I do that, it drains me in the present, and I can't live well in the present with him. And God is saying, you know what? I'm not, don't look for me back there. Don't look for me up there. I'm, I am the I am. I am today. I am here. I love you. I'll care for you. Would you just live in this day with me? Isn't that powerful? That that's what his name is communicating. Another thing. Man, I'm already nine. Nine things. Nine thing that it communicates is integrity. I love this one. You know, I said earlier that uh, some people in our culture have names that have meanings. My name, 
Not really sure, but the best I can tell, Garen is Gaelic, and it means a guardian, which is pretty interesting because that actually does explain, describe me a lot. I, when I care about somebody or something, I'm very protective of it. Um, but I've got to be honest, I don't always live as a guardian. There have been times I've said things and done things that hurt people because I cannot live with full integrity in my name. None of us can. Only one person can live in full integrity of their name. And guess who that is? That's God. That's Yahweh. Um, that's why he said, I am who I am. Can you see his integrity in that? That's a little hard. So I want to I help you out a little bit. Um, I want to show you some various translations of, of the, that first part when he introduces his name that I think helps see the integrity. I will be who I will be. I will be what I will be is the RSV. I will be what I am. I shall be what I am. I am what I shall be and shall be what I am. Does that sound like a Dr. Seuss poem? Like I should write a Yahweh Dr. Seuss book or something, like board book for grandchildren. That sounds awesome. I am who I am. I find it helpful if I flip those words around to understand this integrity, that what God is saying in, in the first part, he says, who I am, I am. What you see is what you get, 100%. Um, in the words of that great theologian, Popeye, I am what I am, and that's all that I am. That's what God's saying in this name. So his name is telling us that he can never be anything other than who he is in his character. Never. He's true to his character. He cannot act in any other way than, than what is in his character, in all of his attributes, in all of who he is. So this God who is kind is kind in all things and at all times. Does that make sense? And also the God who is just is just in all things and at all times. He brings the full weight, the full package of who he is because he is the only person that has full integrity. He can be nothing less and nothing more than who he is. And that is important for me because what that tells me is here is somebody I can fully rely on. And Jen talked about that in our worship. And that speaks to God's constancy. To his constancy. So... I learned from his name that God is unchanging and faithful. Um, if I used old theological jargon, we would say God is immutable. Malachi 3.6, God said, I, the Lord, do not change. I don't change. I'm the same yesterday, I'm the same today, and I'm the same forever. And based upon that, bound, that bedrock of God's integrity, his integrity and his immutability rests his faithfulness. That God will always be faithful to you. He's faithful to himself. He's faithful to his word. He's faithful to his promises. It simply is who he is. In 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul says, If we are faithless, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Isn't that great? He cannot disown himself, because he has integrity. So there's this constancy, this certainty to his nature, that God's just like, hey, I am who I am. Who I am, that's who I am. Ever had anybody fail you? Anybody ever have that experience? I just want you to know God will never fail you. He'll never fail you. We worshiped about that this morning. Love the worship this morning in song. Something else cool about God's name. It's all comprehensive. You know, if you think about it, names are actually very limiting. So if my name really does mean guardian, that's pretty limiting, right? Pat, my wife, her name is Noble. 
good name, but it's limiting. If you look at all the gods around the world that, that have names, their names are very limiting. But God's name is the only name that's all comprehensive, that it's limitless. You know, imagine if God's name was Comforter. If that was his name and I came to him and I'm like, God, right now I'm being attacked and I need a defender. God would say, I'm not into defending because I'm a comforter, right? Or what if I need defense? And I come to him and I'm like, God, I need you to defend me. And he's like, well, I'm a healer. I'm in healing. I do restorations, but I don't do defending. I can't meet you at that point of need. That's not God's name at all. What is God's name? It is what? It's, one more time, it is, I am, like, dot, dot, dot. It's comprehensive. In other words, God is saying, I am whatever you truly need. Truly, that's important. If you have children, if you're a parent, you know sometimes what they think they need isn't what they truly need. But God is saying, I am what you truly need. I'm truly what you truly need. I am your strength. I'm your rock. I'm your comforter, your shield. I'm your wisdom. I'm your fortress. I am your healer. I am with you. Isn't that so cool? That that's what his name looks like? And you can actually see this all through the Old Testament. Because God likes to make compound names for himself by adding another Hebrew word to that I am name. So like Yahweh Rohi in Hebrew is I am your shepherd. Or I, Yahweh Yaira, I am your provider. The God alone is everything. Only he can satisfy me fully, can sustain me fully. That all the other things I look for to meet my needs can't do it, but God can. Isn't his name awesome? Is this stuff like, does this not like, isn't this just awesome? Like his name is so beautiful. And, and the God behind that name is so beautiful that this is what he's communicating through his name. So I'm going to take you to the last thing I learned. And it's this. It's uh, God is both noun and verb. You know, it's interesting. Most names are either nouns or adjectives. So our two granddaughters, Nellie, Eleanor, her name means shining light. It's a noun. And um, Della, Adeline, her name means noble one. So it's an adjective. Uh, that's how most names are nouns or adjectives. But God's name, very uniquely, is a sentence. It is a noun and it's a verb. And that's really significant because I think we tend to think God primarily is a noun of the person who is there, right? We tend to think of him as noun. But he's not just noun, he's verb. And here's why that is so important. Because what that communicates that God is verb is the fact that God is actively and dynamically He's dynamically and actively involved and engaged in his world. Yes, he created time and space and exists outside of it, but he enters into it and he's engaged in this world. He's not the unmoved mover of Aristotle. He's not the deist God who just creates the universe, sets it spinning, leaves it alone and sits on his rocking chair for the rest of eternity and just letting happen what happened. He is a God who is actively involved in his creation. And that's why actually... It's really significant, this aspect of God is noun and verb. It's significant he reveals his name at this particular time in history to Moses. Because when God shows up and gives him his name, here's what God is saying. I am here because I have seen and I have heard and I'm here to act. I'm here to deliver you and to save you. Look at verse 7. 
I'm, I'm just look at the words in here. The Lord said, I have, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians, to bring them up out of that land into a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. In verse 16, he says, I have watched over you. I have watched over you, and I have seen with my eyes what has been done to you in Egypt. So this is a God who is both noun and verb. Yes, he, he exists as a self-existent one. He's the creator, but he cares, and he's engaged with us in our world, and he's engaged in the lives of his people here, and he's engaged in my life, and he's engaged in your life, and that's good news. Is that not good news? So that leads me to where ultimately I'm going with this. Because I've given you a lot of stuff that I think is cool, that enlarges my faith of knowing who God is and how I think about him. But here's where I really want to go ultimately with this. We're going to be starting um, a series today, actually. Next week, we're going to kind of launch where we're going to look at the compound names of God in the Old Testament. And if you don't know them well, we're going to learn a lot of really cool stuff about God and how he... He wants to be God in my life. We're going to learn things like Yahweh M. Kadesh, that I'm your sanctifier. Yahweh Shema, that he's the one who is there. Yahweh Nisi, that he's our banner. Yahweh Shalom, that he's our peace. So we're going to, we're going to go through the names of God. And here's why this is so important to me. And here's, here's what I want you to really leave with. I hope you're leaving with this awesome sense of who God is this morning by knowing his name. But I really want you to leave with this. What I really want you to see in this series is that throughout the Old Testament, when God revealed a new compound name, it was almost always in the context of God acting in the lives of his people, acting in the lives of his people within the circumstances of their life. That's when he's revealing most of the time these compound names. As he met them in difficulty, in their difficulty, they saw and experienced him in a particular part of his character. Does that make sense? It wasn't just they knew, oh, I've heard Yahweh Yaira, but he comes in and provides, and they're like, I know him as Yahweh Yaira. He's provided. And then the next time, you're kind of worried again. You're like, you know, I, I know that a little bit, but I'm struggling again. But when he meets that, and he's like, now I know you even more profoundly and fuller as the God my provider. So that's, what I, that's really what I want you to get out of this series. And that it wasn't just with them. I think he wants to do the same with us. He wants to meet us in our point of need so we can know him in his name and his character even better. Ooh. God desires for you to know him personally. And he desires for you to know him by name. Again, verse 15. That, that, that little that poem, poetry, right? This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. God wants to be known by name. If you look in the Old Testament, God is referred to in three primary ways. He's referred to as Elohim, as God. That's a category. Like cat is a category, dog's a category, human is a category. So he's called God, a category. He's called Adonai. We've talked about that. That's a title. He's Lord. And then he's called in Hebrew Yahweh, or he's called I Am, and that's his name. Let me talk to you for a minute about my, my dad, my own father. He was vice provost of Fort A. State University. That was the kind of the category, right? We, or we could call him human. The title, the thing, when I was on the campus with him that I always heard people call him was Dr. Forsyth. That was his title. But his name was James. And to his friends in Hayes, they called him Jim. 
But when we went to Texas around his brothers and sisters and my mom and dad and his old friends from back home when he was a little kid, they called him Jimmy. Now, which of those do you think was more personal to him? Vice Provost, Dr. Forsyth, or Jimmy? What do you think was more personal? Yeah, Jimmy, right? And it's the same way with God. Elohim occurs about 2,000 times in the Old Testament. Adonai, about 600. His name, 6,823 times. Does God not want to be known by his name, just like you and I and my dad? He wants to be known by name. And here's what I know, is that we learn his names in his word, so we're going to be looking at the Old Testament. But that we come to know his name, so we learn them in his word, intellectually. But we come to know his names intimately and experientially through our experience with him as we encounter him in our real lives. Does that make sense? That's how we intimately come to know his names. So I want to tie all this up um, and give you an important spiritual practice. That when you encounter life's difficulties, and we all will and do, and some of you right now are in the middle of something, maybe more than one something, but when you encounter God and when you encounter those difficulties, um, I really want to challenge you that God is desiring to show you through that a particular aspect of his character. He's wanting you to know him and his name more deeply than you have before. Does that make sense? He wants you to know him in some aspect of his character. Um, and as he acts in your life in that point of genuine need that you have, you will come to learn him experientially more intimately and deeply by that name, and that's really powerful, and that's really important. So I want to challenge you, when you hit a rough, rough patch of life, don't push him off and hold him at arm's length. It's easy to do sometimes. What I want you to do is I want you to lean into that circumstance, and I want you to really lean into God, and I want you to ask him some questions like this. Lord, how are you desiring to reveal yourself to me in this circumstance? What aspect of your character are you wanting me to learn through this? How are you wanting to me to know you more intimately and deeply by name as you walk with me through this event? So again, rather than push him aside, I draw closer to him and I ask for him to reveal himself to me in that circumstance. So worship team, you can come on out. I'm curious today if there's somebody, I know there is, who finds themselves in the midst of difficulty. Something going on in your life that's got your concern and your worry, your fear, your tears, whatever. So I just want to ask you, what, what would you say is your point of need today? This actually applies to all of us, whether you're in difficulty or not. What is your point of need today? What's your point of need? Where are you needing God to show up and act in your life? Where are you needing him to act in your life? How are you willing, needing to encounter him? I just want to take a minute. Can we just close our eyes, bow our heads? I, want you to, I just want you to reflect on that. Where are you needing God to, to really come in and act in your life? In what way are you needing him? All right, would you stand with me? We want to end 
with, some, with an amazing worship song. We want to worship God as the great I am. And I'm not going to tell you, I've got a point of need in my life. And all week, I've been talking to him in relation to that name. And like, I'm needing you to show up as this name from the Old Testament. But I think we're all in a place of need. So let's, can we worship uh, the great I am? Can we do that together? how personal our God is, isn't it, that he wants to be called by name by us. It's just beautiful. Let's sing about that this morning.
says that when Moses came to the bush and met the great I am, that he covered his face because he was on holy ground. Do you not feel like you're standing on holy ground, worshiping the great I am? So let me pray. Father, I thank you for this revelation of your name, that this is who you are. I stand in awe of you. Uh, I want to cover my face. Take off my shoes because I feel like I'm on holy ground before you. This is who you are. Thank you for your name, for your revelation of it. Lord, this week, we all need you in our lives in different ways. So just may we be leaning into you, the great I am, that whatever area of need that we have. So we lift this up in the name of Jesus, the name above all names. Pray in his name. Amen. All right, if you're in a midst of difficulty and need somebody to pray with, I'm going to be back with the new members, and if you want to grab me and pull me aside, I'd be happy to do that. But come say welcome to them, if you would, on your way out. So 12th, you are sent to welcome our new members and then sent to live out the gospel where you are.